is good to see you today. I'm glad that you uh, honestly made the effort to be here. This is kind of one of those mornings where I needed to be in the middle of you. Maybe you felt the same. I got something I think will help us today. I do. You see, we're, we're in this series where we're studying something very specific that Jesus modeled for us. It's what we see him do when the pressure of the world around us pushes in from every angle. Now, it won't surprise you when we say Jesus would pray. Of course he would pray. He knew you could pray anywhere. You could pray everywhere. No matter what you were doing, in a crowd, he, could, he prayed all the time. But what we're focused on in this little series is just a specific aspect of how Jesus would sometimes pray that we're calling airplane mode. It's this moment when everything else shuts off, the monitor's off, the laptop's closed, Everything else is off. For Jesus, it was this moment where he at times would go up on a mountain. He would slip away to a quiet place. It was just this moment that was intentional on his part where everything else was shut out and it was just time to be with the Father. Now, if you're new um, to just this whole church thing and maybe the whole Jesus thing, uh, you might ask the question, why is, it, why is it really important for Jesus to teach us how to pray? And my answer would simply be, it's because prayer is a lifeline for us. It really is. Prayer is a lifeline. This is connected to a relationship with God. And without real communication, there is no hope of a real relationship. Some of us have had to figure that out the hard way. Well, the same is true with God. The more personal our prayers become, then the more personal our relationship with God becomes. I am, I am often, and this week was no different, often reminded of how fast information can move on social media. It just absolutely blows my mind at times you get a piece of information, and when it starts to move, it moves just so incredibly fast. I often think if we could just get people moving the gospel like that instead of like information about other people like that, right? This, this, this whole mission would be done quick. But here's something I'm convinced of. I am convinced that on the day of accounting, which in case you don't know that, that day's coming, there will be a day of accounting where we give an account for what we did with this life that we have been given. I'm convinced that on that day, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the other half dozen you want to name today, I believe all of that will be evidence on that day that we really did have time to pray. We just chose not to. We really did have time to communicate. We just chose not to. 
And we use time as an excuse, but the truth is we have time for what we want to use it for, and we all have the same amount of hours in the day. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is saying to the disciples, I want to teach you to use that time to pray. Use the time to pray. And just the big picture of the overall passage is that Jesus' standard of prayer focuses on God while the religious leaders of his day had a standard of prayer that focused on themselves. And Jesus is saying, I want to change how you see prayer. And he literally sent them to their rooms. But Jesus didn't send them to their rooms to punish them. He actually sent them to their room to free them up. He said, I want you to go into the room and I want you to shut the door. And then I want you to talk to your father in heaven. In other words, now I'm freeing you up. You don't need to worry about impressing anybody else with your prayer. Just talk to your heavenly dad. That's airplane mode. And here's the prayer that he taught them and us. How to pray. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Check it out. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so last week we saw Jesus taught us to pray, knowing that God is our heavenly dad. And his name has a reputation. And his family business is the kingdom that he is all about seeing spread. And that gets us to the line that I really just want us to land on today. It's not very many words, but wow, it's big. Verse 11, give us today our daily bread. Give us today, that's it, our daily bread. Now, I think often this kind of scripture along with some others in, in the Bible, this is what leads a lot of us to, to do things like pray before a meal. Before we eat a meal, we will pray. And Jesus modeled that. He would often pray before people would gather to eat. But I also believe that that prayer that we often pray before we eat is a great example of what we can do with prayer. Because isn't it amazing that we can turn something like the blessing, right, of the food into something so legalistic? We can turn it into something so mindless that we all, all most of us know how to pray that prayer and keep on doing whatever we got to do, right? We, we can, it just, it's just sort of automatic, I mean, maybe it's no longer God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food, but it's kind of an adult version of that sometimes. Or we turn it into this Christianized superstition, which is sort of like, oh, we got to pray so we don't choke on the chicken wings, right? It's like, oh, we got, we got to pray because, I mean, we, we, don't want to choke on, we don't want to choke on the food. It just, it becomes this Christianized superstition that out of guilt or out of fear, we got to pray before we eat. And I'm saying, no, I want us to see, because Jesus wanted us to see that prayer is not a ritual to appease our God. It's a reason to talk to him. It's not a ritual, it's a reason to talk to him. And I just want to warn you today, as parents, 
It is possible to raise well-behaved Pharisee kids. They can recite prayers, but not necessarily have a relationship with God. You can teach your kids how to pray before they eat, but not see a passion about the mission of God in their life. That's why we want to make sure we really understand what prayer is all about, not just some ritual in our life. No, we want something real with God. So, what does that little part of the prayer mean? Give us today our daily bread. Well, let's start at the end. Why not? Bread. Give us today our daily bread. I mean, that seems really simple. And I think that's exactly what Jesus meant for it to be. When you look at the word bread throughout Scripture, you you will easily walk away from an understanding that not only is it talking about the, the loaf of bread, but it really does sum up everything related to what I would call the basic necessities, the basic needs, the physical needs of this life, like food. I would even include clothing, probably, shelter, those basic things. Now, they're temporary. They're temporary. They're not eternal. But they're things that we need in order to actually live in this life. You're never going to join your dad in the family business. You're never going to accomplish his purpose for his kingdom in your life if he doesn't meet your basic needs like let you eat. You're not going to make it very long. And so it's bread represents just those very basic things. Now, come on, this prayer for some people around the world really does look like, Lord, I don't have something to eat for my next meal. And I ask you to give me bread that your greatness will be seen. There are more people that pray that way than are praying like I'm about to describe. Lord, I don't have bread for my next meal. So would you give me bread that your greatness could be seen? But for a lot of us, the prayer looks more like, Lord, you have given more bread than I can eat. Lord, you have supplied more bread than I can eat today. I'm thanking you for giving me everything you've given me. I acknowledge you are the source, and and I'm certainly asking that you would continue to provide what we need, that your greatness will be seen. In both cases, either way, it's about seeing God as the source who supplies your basic needs. You have food because he supplies all right? Let's go to the under, other end of the statement, all right? Give. Give us today our daily bread. That's like the big punch in the request. So let's, let's hang out here for a little while. God, give us. Give us today our, our daily bread. Why do we have the right to ask God? I mean, the answer would be we really don't have any right to ask God for anything. He doesn't owe us anything. 
But the reason we can ask is because he's promised to supply and in turn has said, I want you to ask me. And so when God says, here's the promise, I'm going to meet your needs, I want you to ask for me to do that, then we ask. We have every right. And to fully expect there is nothing that you possess of blessing that doesn't come from God. Listen to how the psalmist puts it in Psalm 33, verse 18. Here's what he said. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his un failing love to deliver them from death and to keep them alive in famine it's interesting and here's what he says he's saying look to the people who whose heart revere him to those whose heart honor him to those whose hope is in his unfailing love a love that's never going to quit he says my promise is Even in times of famine, I'm going to feed you. And I'm telling you that throughout the Bible, those promises from God are given over and over again. But is that not what a good father does, right? I mean, some of you I know have a different story because no matter what story I tell, some of you always have a different story and you're very quick to tell me that, all right? So I know not everybody has this story. But many of you, I think most of you, have the story that as a little kid, even if your family struggled, even if they struggled, to put the next meal on the table, you didn't know it. You didn't know it because your daddy or your mama, they took care of that. They took care of that. God's saying, that's my promise. I'm going to take care of that for you. Now, if you're looking for a New Testament passage, you ought to write down 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and you should read it this week, because I'm not going to read it to you today. But it's the place in the Bible where God talks about generosity And he says, I, the God who have been generous to my people, I I call them to have hearts of generosity. And basically what he says is, when you are generous like I am generous, when you give with joy like I give with joy, my promise is to supply all needs. And that includes basic, like food for you to eat. Now don't get me wrong, he didn't say, if you give, I'll double your money. No, but he says, when you're generous, you can't outgive me. I will take care of your needs. Anybody remember Elijah's story in the Old Testament? Elijah, who came along when this really, really evil king was leading God's people, his name was Ahab. Ahab worshipped other gods. Now, that ain't a smart move when you're supposed to be the king of God's people, all right? But because of it, God said, no more rain. It's done. There's going to be no more rain, which means there's going to be no more crops, which means there's going to be no more food, which means famine. But he says to Elijah, the man 
whose hope was still in the unfailing love of God, the man whose heart was still solely after God's heart, not a worshiper of other idols. He said, Elijah, I want you to go to this specific brook. I want you to go to this stream. And at this stream, you're going to be able to drink the water. There's no more water in the land. But you're going to be able to drink from this stream. And God, the Bible says, even sent ravens, as in birds, to feed Elijah once in the morning, once in the evening, they would bring him bread and meat. Now, the immediate thought that some of you just had was, gross, gross. That's because a lot of us don't really know what it's like to go hungry. But if there's no water and no food in the land, if a bird shows up with some bread, you're going to eat it. And you're glad to get it because God sent it to you. When the brook dried up, then God sends him to this place called Zarephath where there's a widow. He meets her outside the city there. She is gathering sticks because this widow is about to build one more fire. And on that fire, she's going to cook up the little bit of meal that she has left with the little bit of oil that she has left. And she and her son are going to have one last meal before they die. She instead takes that little bit of meal and that little bit of oil and she cooks Elijah some food. And the Bible says that as a result, until it rained again, the oil never ran dry in the jar and the meal never ran out in the bucket. Now, I'm telling you, those are the pictures that God gives us intentionally in Scripture to remind us that he is our good dad. The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them, even in times of famine, that there will be food. Jesus would say it later this way in the Sermon on the Mount. This is what he would say later in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? In other words, Jesus is like, that stuff is temporary. That is not your greatest concern. It's not. Some of you may need to write down this, this, this morning. Your closet is not your greatest concern in this life. What hangs in your closet is not most important. He's saying even what you eat, it is not most important, or at least it shouldn't be. Skip to verse 31. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. The people who don't believe in God. The people who don't know of a hope beyond this moment. This is, this is, what, they, this is what they do. And you, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And we've already learned even before you ask. Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. All right, don't miss this. 
Here's what God says. When it comes to these basic needs of your life, like food, I'm going to say clothing, I'm going to say shelter. When it comes to those basic needs, God says, I got this. I will take over this area. You just keep on acknowledging that I'm the source. I'm the one that gives you food. I'm the one that puts the clothes on your back. I'm the source. I will take over this area so that you don't have to get stuck on this level of worrying about what's in your closet, of worrying about what's on the plate. Instead, you invest your life in the kingdom of God, something that's not temporary, but something that is eternal. And I'm telling you, all that other stuff like food and clothes is going to take care of itself because I'm taking care of it. So you don't get stuck in the temporary. I'll take care of that. You go after my kingdom. Now, just a note, just in case um, you've, you've never read this in the Bible, we are not usually instructed just to sit back and wait for God to deliver dinner. Okay? As in... Don't go home tonight and sit on your front step and wait for the ravens to appear, all right? I mean, you can, but that's usually not the way he does it. Here's what he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. The apostle Paul says, for even, though, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not, what? Eat. The one who's unwilling to work doesn't eat. We're like, well, that makes it sound like it's all on us. No. Because he tells us in Scripture, who gives you the ability to work? God does. Who, who gave you the muscle to do what you do? Who gave you the brain power to do what you do? You don't take another breath unless he gives you another breath. He is the source of all that. But there's this beautiful balance in the Bible where God says you need to work so that you can eat. But there are some people who can't. There are some people who can't work. I'm talking about legitimate reasons. Maybe they're sick. Somebody that's battling cancer. Maybe there's something physically with them that they, they, cannot, they cannot work. Then what's the answer? We help meet their needs. That's how it works. And so in the Bible, you got guys like the Apostle Paul who worked for a living. He was a tent maker, right? He's a missionary, but he's a tent maker. He, he, he works for a living, but at the same time, he's constantly calling to churches like we read about in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where he's going, hey, we need to pool our resources so we can take care of some people who are in need. Because they're really in need. Maybe they can't work. Maybe it's a, a catastrophe that's taken place. But we need to help. We need to help. Now, one more thing before we move past this. I think there are people who want to say, all right, Jeff, all that's great. Elijah's story's great. All that's really cool. But is it, doesn't it say in Hebrews chapter 11, which is the, what we call the hall of faith, 
This is where all the big guns are really named, and they're talked about how their faith and how they overcame, and right, they, 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 they fought through this and fought through that. But doesn't it also say in Hebrews chapter 11 that there were those who had faith in God, but they didn't make it through? They didn't come out the other side of the lion's den. And it even says that some of them died because they had no food. Hmm. Wait a minute. I thought he was the God that always supplies. So if he's the God that always supplies, why didn't he supply? And my, my response would be, he did supply. How did they get to that point in their life? He supplied. However old they were, how did they, how did they get that far? He supplied. Until it was time for them to go. And when it was time for them to go, it was time for them to go and they entered into a fullness of existence in the next world with a supply of eternal resources unlike anything we've ever dreamed of here. In other words, he's still supplying. He always does. He always does. I, I don't want you to miss, before we end, the littlest word in the phrase, Give, what's the second word? Us. Give us our daily bread. Now that's similar language to what we talked about last week when we prayed our Father. We didn't pray my Father. Jesus didn't pray my Father. He prayed our Father, right? And we talked about this Eastern view of, of family. We talked about how they tend to see family different than we see family, where we live in a culture that, that at times leads our kids to think that the family exists for them versus an Eastern culture that leads children to realize that they are there for the family. And so their whole life is lived of what, what should I do? How should I live? How can I love my family so that there is this family win? Same picture when we get to the daily bread, not give me my daily bread give us our daily bread right the use of the plural just removes all the selfishness from this thing I'm not asking God just to take care of me I, I could never live in abundance while my brother doesn't have enough and that's just that's just the basics of what it looks like to be a Jesus follower right the selfishness goes one more little phrase there. Give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. I think the exact meaning of that phrase is, God, give us bread for the coming day. I think that's exactly what it means. The, the picture is a simplicity a moderation, it is an expression that says one day at a time, God, I'm gonna trust in your provision. One day at a time. It, it stresses contentment that comes when we live 
with this daily confidence in God and we don't worry about the future. Now here's where I want to wrap this for us today. Don't, I don't want you to miss this. Pray that your Father will meet your basic needs. Don't you stop doing that. Because when you stop praying that, you are probably, you, you are failing to acknowledge that he is the source. Right? You start thinking that's on you, that's dangerous. It isn't on you. So pray. Pray that your Father will meet your basic needs. But remember, those are temporary needs. And so the point is that you can focus on bigger things than that. You can focus on eternal things. You can focus on kingdom things like the gospel going forward. In other words, we got to learn to pray with contentment regarding the temporary stuff in our life so that we can start to pray with discontentment about the eternal mission that we are called to. Does anybody see? That's the whole point. The whole point is that God would would, would promise that he's going to take care of the basic things in my life so I don't have to spend all day worrying about what I'm going to eat, but that the, the greatest passion from my heart could then be spent on seeing his kingdom move forward, seeing the gospel spread every day around me. I want to see the eternal stuff happen. In other words... Don't take this wrong, but we can downsize our prayers regarding building our kingdom, and we can start to supersize our prayers regarding building his kingdom. He's got the temporary stuff. I don't need to build up my kingdom anymore. He's giving me food to eat. He's, he's giving me clothes to wear. He's giving me a, a place to live. I, I can downsize in regards to building my kingdom so that I can supersize in terms of prayer regarding his kingdom. We have a tendency to do the opposite because we spend so much of our prayer time trying to convince God to build our kingdom a little bigger. A little bigger. Because if my kingdom was a little bigger, if I had a little more of this, if I had a little more of that, if I had a little more of this, then my, my life would be better. We spend so much of our time trying to convince God to build our kingdom a little bigger. And he's saying, I got your kingdom. I'm going to give you food to eat tomorrow. I want you to pray supersized stuff for the kingdom of God. Now, when I say supersized, I really don't have to explain this to you because we live in a supersized culture, right? But I will, just, just so that to make sure. You go to the theater, right? You're going to see a movie, and you decide you're going to get the popcorn and the drink, okay? You're ready to pay your $325 for a popcorn and a drink, right? You're ready. You're like getting the money out, $325. And the little... The little girl behind the counter says, um, you could supersize that for a dollar. You're like, really? What does that mean? Well, sir, it means instead of your popcorn coming in this bag, your popcorn will come in this barrel. 
it has wheels on it so that you can roll it to your seat, right? And in, in the IMAX theater, as in bigger, right? And you're like, well, yeah, yeah, why, why wouldn't I? For a dollar, we go from a bag to a bucket with wheels on it that we can, we can roll to the seat. I'm saying from theaters to TVs to cell phones to vehicles, we really do live in a culture where we often view bigger as a sign of success. And I want to tell you that I believe Jesus' mission out of teaching us to pray is that we would start to believe the same thing in regards to prayer. That you can pray bigger. You can pray bigger. But he wants to teach us to pray bigger about the right things. And the truth is, we we don't have to pray bigger about whether or not our heavenly dad loves us and wants to give us food to eat. He's like, I got that. Yeah, you need to keep asking me because I'm the source and I don't want you to forget I'm the source. But he's like, I want you to pray supersized prayers regarding the kingdom of God because we got a big God. And so places like John chapter 15, verse 7, he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. What's Jesus saying? He's saying when you are leaning into the the Spirit of God, when when, when your heart is humble, when, when you totally depend upon Him, when you are letting God's Word read your life, and then you pray in accordance with what He's reading, then you can ask whatever you want to because you are asking according to what He says His will is. And He's like, you understand, you, you, you can't ask bigger than I can grant. I mean, the Bible really does say that he can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. It really does say that. Now, slow down and think about that. Because some of y'all don't think God's that big. Some of y'all don't think God can outdo whatever you ask. You don't. Now, sometimes that's been because we've asked really big, but what we were asking really big about was that our kingdom be built. And he's like, "Uh uh-uh. Because you're not asking in accordance with my heart. You you got your own own Bible, right? You're reading there, and you're, you're asking what you want to build your kingdom and know. And so we sometimes pray these big prayers, and we go, well, God, God, God can't do that. But no, what he says is there really are things that he can do that it's just so big that you can't even come up with the ask. You can't. You, you, you don't even know how to ask that big. I, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to start praying some supersized prayers. I, I think sometimes God must be saying, don't you know who I am? Like, I want to challenge you to not just pray for your kid that they'll have a good day at school. But I want to challenge you to ask God to bring an awakening to their school. Supersize it. Anybody in here believe that God's heart 
really does break when he looks at the brokenness, the search, the hopelessness that exists in so many of our schools? Anybody believe that God's okay with a prayer bigger than God get my kid through it today? Anybody believe that God's okay with God, would you send an awakening to my kid's school that would turn their hearts toward you? We should pray that. I'm saying supersize your prayer. Having a supersized prayer life, though, starts with a supersized view of God. And then a temporary view of this life. There is a text that has stood out to me this week. I want to read it to you. James chapter 4, verse 13. Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Oh my goodness, that is so much, I think, how we live our life. Here's what, here's what we're going to do and here's what we're going to plan and here, here's, here's, here's the money that, that we're, we're going to make. Here's, here's what we're going to do. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. He goes, there's not a single one of you who even knows what tomorrow looks like. You don't even know what tomorrow looks like, much less, right, a, a year from now. He says, our, our lives are like a mist. This is like a vapor. It appears for a little while, and then, and then it's gone. In other words, it's just so temporary. That's what Jesus was trying to say to us in the Sermon on the Mount. It's like stuff like food on my plate or clothes on my back. It's so temporary. It's like a vapor, right? Nobody gets out of this life alive. Anybody figured that out yet? It's all going to be our day one day. And the stuff we tend to be most stressed out about is vapor. It's just mist. Oh, I wonder where my retirement's going to end up. Vapor. How much more square footage can we afford? Vapor. Am I going to get a 4.0? Vapor. Ah, uh, look how fit I am. I'm going to live to be 125 years old. Vapor. Right? It's just all vapor. He's like, life is a vapor. It's just so temporary. But oh my goodness, what we as God's kids are called to do and be in this mist, in this vapor, it impacts people's eternity. We are not just a product of time. We are a product of eternity. But God has positioned us right here in this time, and he's given us gifts, and he's given us resources to leverage this vapor, to bring light to the world, a world around us that is broken, a world that is full of hopelessness and pain and injustice. And Jesus said, I'm sending you in. I'm sending you in, and I want you to go now, right? You're, you're planning next year. I'm saying you don't even know what tomorrow holds. There are people in your life who are hopeless. I want you to give them the message of hope that you know is in Jesus. 
There were people who were in pain. I want you to put your arms around them today and tell them there is a God with unfailing love. Those who are experiencing injustice, I want you to put your life on the line. I know it's risky. I know it's dangerous. So the worst case scenario, heaven for you? Heaven? This thing, it is a vapor. I want you to play for something more eternal. The purpose of life is not to arrive at death safely. The purpose of life is to be dangerous for the kingdom of God and to the kingdom of darkness. Pray supersized prayers. But we don't. We struggle in part because we doubt ourselves like, who am I to pray a prayer like that? Because I know my limitations. We don't because we fear what other people will think. I mean, come on, they're going to think I'm a fool if I, if I pray this. It, I mean, sometimes we use even God's gifts as excuses. It's like, well, you know, I, I really would like to be dangerous for the kingdom of God, but, you know, I, 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 got, a, I got a couple of kids now that... that that I I have to think about what I do with my life. Think about that. Think about what we do. So we would ask God for precious gifts like children, and then we would use those gifts as excuses for not to follow God. Oh my goodness, don't do that. Don't do that. I am encouraging you, those of you who are young parents across this room, your children really are gifts from God, but don't you turn them into excuses for living a very temporary life. You live an eternal life. You put your life of faith, whatever God calls you to do, you do it because that's the life you want your children to pick up on. That's the path that you want them to follow. Isn't it funny? It's almost like God doesn't know, right? That's how we treat it. God's like, oh, my bad. I forgot you had two kids, right? Oh, my bad. You are busy. You are, right? There's a few more. I didn't realize you were involved in so much. It's like God doesn't know what we don't have, and God doesn't know what we don't know, and God doesn't know how old we are, and God doesn't know where we live. And God, I mean, we got to stop it because he's God, and this is all about who God is I'm challenging you to pray some supersized prayers. God, don't let me just achieve what I can. But God, use my life to make your fame known in the whole earth. And may God call out people from his family who are willing to look foolish for his great name. May God stir our hearts that we will not live for greed and the rest of the world's going, what in the world are you doing? We don't want to be normal. If that's weird, then let's be weird. That we don't live for greed, but we live for the glory of our God. And if it takes looking foolish, then let's look foolish, because this is temporary. This is a vapor. This will be done before you know it, and you will stand before the one who gave you life. He gave you breath. He gave you every resource you've got. And this time will be short. 
I encourage you today to realize the story of the Bible. And it's this storyline of people who constantly were willing to look foolish. They were willing to look foolish to believe God. I mean, think about it. I'm not hitting them all, but come on, Noah. Noah, what are you doing? Building an ark. What's that? Well, it's this thing that'll float when it rains. Rain? What's that? Come on, he looked foolish, didn't he? He looked foolish to a world around him. How about Moses? How foolish does Moses look when he leads God's people out of Egypt and here he is pinned between the Red Sea and an Egyptian army that closes in and what's he got to fight with? A stick. A stick, right? How about Sarah hanging out in the maternity section of Walmart and people are like, Sarah, who are you buying something for? Uh, me. I'm 90. Foolish. How about the Israelites who stand at the walls of Jericho? They got no AK-47s. They got horns to blow. It looks foolish. David stands before a nine-foot giant with a slingshot. Esther approaches a king even though she was not invited. You talk about look foolish in that day. Caleb. He's 85 years old, and he wants to take the mountain that he's been promised. Come on, man, you're 85. Peter, dude, we're, we're not on land, man. Why are you stepping out of the boat? Paul, Silas, in a prison, chained, singing songs to the God who allowed them to be there. And you want to talk foolish, let's talk about the Son of God stretched between heaven and earth, hands and feet, nailed to a cross, so beaten and bloodied that it says he was almost unrecognizable, claiming to be a Messiah. But Noah built an ark. And not only was he rescued from the flood, but he rescued his family from the flood. Moses made it across that sea because God parted it and they walked across on dry land. Sarah gave birth to Isaac. The walls of Jericho fell. A nine-foot giant fell at David's feet. Esther stopped the genocide of God's people. Caleb took the mountain of Hebron. Peter did walk on water. Paul and Silas walked out of a prison free. And Jesus, he died. They put him in a tomb. And three days later, a stone rolled away. And he got up, now triumphing over sin and hell and the grave. Now he lives in you. And he says, pray big. Because he's got this. Shall we pray? God. If we could just live on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, if we could just live reminded this life that we so at times try to hold on to, 
this life that we put so much worry into, it is, it is so much of the time things that are temporary. I thank you today for being our Father who loves us like a good dad. You, you give us food to eat, clothes to wear, God, shelter. And I thank you that that faithfulness, it just, you never miss a beat. You got it. God, I'm asking you to help us to trust you in the things that are vapor. And would you start to turn our hearts toward things that are eternal? God, there are parents in this room who need to start to pray for their kids in a supersized way. God, bigger than just help them through school today. God, a bigger picture of the eternal, what you call their lives to. God, help us to pray the kind of prayers that honor you regarding our kids. God, God, change how we pray for our spouses, for our friends. God, change how we pray for our neighbors. God, would, would you change how we see our schools, our world? God, so much we need eyes that see it like you see it. God, I'm asking today that you would start to reshape our heart. God, break our heart for what we at times have put so much attention into that which is temporary. God, change how we see it today. Would you change how we believe you today? Church, I'm just going to invite us to stay before God for some moments here. I'm going to invite you to spend some moments with him. Maybe you need to do some talking. Maybe he needs to do some talking. But let's just be with him. We're going to be over here on the side. If there's prayer that you need today, we would so be honored to pray for you. But also recognize that among yourselves, you may be sitting next to somebody that you, you trust enough to, to say, hey, I need some prayer today. Or maybe you know somebody that needs some prayer today. I, I don't know. I just Let's let this be a moment where God's people meet with a God who says he can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Some of you have been struggling with some stuff, but you've never actually asked God to do what he needs to do there. I don't want you to feel the pressure to have to sing even in this first song. As those words are sung, you take it in. Who he is is our God. And then eventually together we will, we will celebrate those things. I love you guys. Let's meet with God.